Welcome to this special edition of the Nordic Talks podcast, recorded at the recent COP28 in Dubai. At this climate conference, we tried something new. We gave the word solely to the next generation. We asked youth delegates from Nordic countries to invite speakers from different parts of the world, people who've given their lives to the climate movement. In this session, you'll meet Mana Omar, a youth leader of the UN Women's Action Coalition and the founder of SASAL, a pastoralist youth and women-led NGO in Kenya, for a conversation on gender equality in climate-vulnerable communities. I'm Josefina Folkvarts, and I'm handing over the microphone to the host of this episode, the Norwegian youth delegate, Amalia Holmefjord. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Nordic Talks podcast session. My name is Amalie Holmefjord, and I'm a youth delegate from Norway. And together with me today, I have Mana Omar, who is executive director and founder of Spring of the Arid and Semi-Arid Lands, team lead of Fridays for Future pastoralists, and she's also a youth leader with the UN Feminist Action for Climate Justice Action Coalition. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Mana. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> It is my pleasure. So we all know that the Nordics have an historical responsibility because of our emissions that we've already let out, but also because today we are many times, the Nordic countries are viewed as somewhat pioneers when we talk about gender equality. And not to say we are far from perfect, uh, we still have a long way to go, but we have come far. And because of this, we have an extra responsibility to make sure that gender equality is taken care of in climate discussions. Me, personally, coming from Norway, I know that I'm very fortunate, but, I mean, I don't like to admit it, but sometimes I do take for granted the opportunities that I have because I come from Norway. And I think it's really important that we have these discussions because gender inequality is still a huge problem. And 70% of the world's poor are women, uh, yet only 20% of parliament are women. And then also 80%, like women account for 80% of the local food production in the world, and many as small-scale farmers. And as you, Mana, you come from a pastoralist community in Kenya. Um, how do you experience discussions around gender equality and climate change in your community? Um, thank you so much for that question. Uh, so, first of all, it's just maybe to do some context setting so that we are all on the same page. Uh, we understand from which perspective I speak of or from which context. So, the pastoralists are a group of communities that practice um, keeping of domesticated animals uh, purely. And this is a form of uh, livelihood support, like... Um, what they would do to, to, to like support their lives and their families. And um, it's majorly pastoralism, meaning it's only uh, the keeping of those domesticated animals. Uh, there's no other activity uh, being done. 
and um, it, it involves also moving from one place to another in search of water and pasture for their animals. So um, it's important to also note that these pastoralist communities um, have been practicing pastoralism uh, from time immemorial. So it's an activity that's, that's been passed from generation to generation from our ancestors. So it's more of um, a culture uh, rather than just an economic activity. So you find that there's a, a sentimental relationship between a pastoralist and their livestock. It's also important to note that this community is extremely patriarchal. Extremely might be even an under, understatement. It's extremely patriarchal and you find uh, there, um, there's a lot of male domination. Um, there's a lot of gendered roles when it comes to what women can do and what men can do. And um, a lot of women are already conditioned to believe that uh, my roles are specific and most of them being domestic chores, uh, building of the small houses that the pastoralists live in. It's not a complicated job, yes, but uh, these are some of the tasks that women um, are tasked to do. And for men, they take part in, you know, um, income generating activities like that now taking care of the animals, moving from one place to another with the animals. They're responsible for selling and holding the money. So when it comes to maybe buying food, you, you follow your husband as a woman and then you get the commodities back from the market. Um, the man buys. So the woman, you, you find um, it's really, really not easy for a woman to hold funds or the money. So the conversations around gender equality is extremely, if I might, if I might uh, term it as kind of something that's a taboo, because you won't find people are like in a room full of men, when I step in, even in my works as uh, the, the director of this organization, and we talk, uh, solely focus on pastoral communities. When I speak in, in a room uh, full of maybe men from these communities, they like disregard a lot of what I say because it's, it's coming from a woman, but it, it will be uh, taken more seriously if it's from a man. But then uh, whatever happens is we, we, we take this by force. If, if this is what we want to achieve, if we want our voices to be heard, yeah. And I'll just give an example. It's a story. I love telling stories to like push, you know, points across. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So there was this um, event like in our community that um, they invite people uh, for a fundraiser. So in this particular fundraiser, it was, of course, raising funds for uh, school children. And they invite leaders from across um, uh, the, this community. So I was invited as uh, an NGO that works in the area. And I was shocked that from all the invited guests, I was the only lady. Oh, wow. Yes, I was the only lady. And my seat was placed strategically away from these other men. Yeah. And I'm from the same community. But that's just how people are conditioned. That's what has been passed across from, our, like from, from since a time immemorial. It's not something we can trace. But this is how our children have been conditioned. They've grown up to, to like view their mothers and their sisters in this form, of, in this kind of way. And um, even when it came to speaking, I was uh, by the time I was speaking, I was furious because I noted that in the tent where the guests were seated, because it's an extremely hot area, so they put up tents for the function. So the the, the tents were of like 200 capacity. And uh, uh, one tent was set aside for uh, the community, 
members and another tent for now the VIP now the guests like us yeah and my team is only made up of women so we were like we were invited as an, an organization and the tent that we were seated at as guests were only consisting of women from my team uh-huh. and the tent from, from the community side well, it, it was only for men. Men, men were the only ones that have, uh, were seated on the shade, and you would see women uh, scattered uh, all around the place under the scorching sun. Yeah. Some are pregnant, some are seated on the stones. And it's something that they're, they're just happy, smiling at the, how the event is going. Like they, they have no, they're used to that kind of life already. They're used to giving space to men. And when a man just finds you sitting, they'll be like, and you'll just wake up. So that's, that's how gender equal. I'm trying to, yeah. pick, to put a picture to whatever. I'm, that's how gross and grave the situation is uh, from communities like mine and yeah. that's, uh, that we work with. And I think we... we okay, let's go to the next question. <laughs> no, but I think, I think you're, you're painting a quite clear picture of how, of how this is. Yeah. And I can only... Imagine knowing you as a very like engaged, you know, person. I can only imagine how angry you were, yeah. you know, because of the conditions and and also that you were not, you know, able to to speak no, and I, and take up the place. I was actually I, I was able to speak, but I didn't say what I wanted to say. Of course, I wanted to emphasize on education because it was that was the theme. But I ended up speaking about how these women should not accept such kind of treatment and be the change they want to see. Yeah, because they. We can't wait for anyone else to come and, you know, push these agendas for us to claim those seats. So even in our events as an NGO, I, I specifically, we specifically put tents for women, only for women. Yeah. And if it's not enough, the men should stand outside in the sun because who is pregnant, who is doing all those work exactly. it's for women. So it's time that we're trying to reverse all this and it's not really easy. It's coming with a lot of backlash. Yeah. Yeah. So... I can imagine, but really, really important work that you're doing. Basically trying to just, you know, change, reverse it or like change the, the system, which yeah. is really important. And, and talking about this, I was wondering if you, you know, could maybe talk a bit more about what you work with in your community and what kind of initiatives you do to promote gender equality. Okay, so um, as an NGO, it's youth-led and uh, particularly uh, most of the leaders, uh, of the youth leaders from my organization are all from the pastoralist communities. So we, we kind of understand the community we work with. Um, we work across different uh, themes, but basically under climate change. But um, I'd, I'd, I'll only speak about uh, our recent project on gender equality and climate resilience. So early this year, we embarked on a research to try and understand because we have this um, mentality that we are from this community, so we understand what's going on. But we decided to actually do research and talk to people, yeah. get to understand what are the core issues surrounding you know, gender equality, what are the issues also leading to climate vulnerability within this community? Why is it that the existing uh, adaptation measures that are being employed is not really working? So we decided to to embark on this um, research. And I'm glad we did because we uncovered a lot of things we didn't know because we were so privileged to be in school, to spend time in the cities. So we were really not living through what the other people in the community were living through. And what inspired us to actually start on the research is the increase in the 
um, um, number of instances of gender-based violence uh, because before we actually got any funds to start on tangible activities, I was working with a group of women on voluntary basis and uh, they, they became so close. We became so close. Uh, I was training them on, you know, you need to speak up for your, for your rights. You need to speak up for your children. Some of them have, have been going, undergoing trauma, seeing their children being given out uh, early in marriage and they couldn't do anything to speak up, uh, to, to, like to stop so um, speaking to these women and they were like, you know, so one of uh, the lady from our group uh, was uh, experienced attempted rape. Another one was raped. So it became, uh, it kind of started that uh, also sadness within me and, you know, uh, living in most marginalized areas. There's no access to police stations like uh, where they could report this. And then the issue also around the patriarchal setting of the community. When a woman speaks about this, they are told they enabled it in a way. They were in the wrong place when, when that thing uh -huh. happened. And um, this usually happens when they go to fetch water because it's a long distance, trekking, uh, walking long distances to go and fetch water. Yeah. By the time you're back, the husband is angry, you are late, you've not cooked, you've not done this and this. So it, it also gives rise to a lot of physical um, like form of violence where they're really yeah. beaten. They're really beaten. So I decided uh, we need to, 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 to really look into this. So we uncovered a lot of root causes of even gender-based violence, um, gender inequalities in these communities. And one of it is uh, the, the harmful cultural practices okay. that has been passed from, um, from our ancestors, um, making it feel like a, a culture, though it's not a culture. Yeah. It's, a, it's a way um, we, we have bad and good culture, and there are these... Uh, a lot of amazing cultural practices from this. This is an indigenous community, but we need to accept that some of our cultures are really harmful. Yeah. And instead of uh, letting the community progress, it kind of pushes us backward. And it's, it's also really uh, impacted people's attitudes, perception. And I think that's where the hard work comes in, changing that, uh, the dynamic around people's attitudes and perception. So... Um, we sat down with the results, looked, uh, developed a very uh, comprehensive report and thought, how are we going to solve this issue? It's a myriad, it's a ton of issues, all approaching from each angle. So if I'm trying to solve the issue, maybe for example, one of the root causes of gender-based violence was the fact that women were not empowered economically. So they were left by, uh, with no other choice but to depend on their spouses. Yeah. So if we empower women economically, they still have to walk long distances to fetch water. They'll still encounter um, you know, people along the way who are already used to their trucks. Exactly. They'll still uh, have to walk longer distances to relieve themselves because there's no access to sanitation facilities. That's, that's another root cause of yeah. gender-based violence. We've not even looked at the cultural, the harmful culture. So it was, we, we thought we needed a holistic solution to look at this particular problem. Yes. And the best thing is the holistic solution is not only solving the issue of gender equality, but also solving, uh, bringing about building climate resilience. So that's how we created the mo We have a model, and it's called the Nkang model for climate resilience and gender equality. It's a commitment under the Generation Equality Forum, Feminist Action for Climate Justice of the UN Women. Yes. And um, this model basically cuts across all the SDGs and is trying to address 
all these root causes within this village, but by um, um, using observational learning. Ah, okay. Yes, so we want, uh, because we understand that we cannot change everyone in the community. So we selected the cream of change within this community. I am from this community and my way of thinking is that it's slightly different than them. So there are people like me, yeah. however few, so we are, we are maximizing or building our potential on the, on the few people to, to kind of build a model that the others can learn from through observing. So um, we created a village, a, a small village. We moved it closer to the river so that because there's a river, but people still have to walk longer distances to fetch water. It didn't make sense. So we moved closer to the river. Let's move closer to the river, uh, uh, show them some aspects of sustainability, cultural preservation, train them on gender equality. And now setting up this village in a way that we would envision a sustainable pastoralist community that is also gender equal, not 100% gender equal definitely, but at least where women's rights are upheld. Um, so this is basically what we're doing and a lot of information can be found on our website, on our social media pages. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I recommend people checking it out. And when we talked about this a bit, you know, earlier, and you told me, yeah, we're trying to make, you know, we're building a gender equal village. And I was like, whoa, that's amazing. You know, having someone who is willing to take, because you say there are so many challenges, right, that you're facing and a lot of different root causes to this that you cannot solve with one simple solution, right? But making a gender equal village, you can really try to tackle all of these things in a very holistic manner. So I was like, whoa, that is really, really cool and really inspiring too, I think, you know, for people in your community, but also people in other communities, that this is possible, that you can make these changes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's something we hope to replicate from one village to, to the other in Kenya. So we basically want to focus on this as an organization because yes. it's, it's, it's basically solving all the issues we've ever thought of. Exactly. Yeah, so forming small villages that are sustainable and that can be a model uh, other communities can learn from. Yeah. yeah, and that's what we need, right? Yeah. We need to have these models that, that people can take inspiration from. So it's, it's really, really interesting. And I also, so I also wanted to talk more with you about, you know, from, from your perspective and your life, like me, I mean, I said I was feeling quite lucky coming from Norway. You know, we, we have quite, quite gender equal societies, but still, I mean, I've still experienced feeling, you know, insecure or disregarded just because I'm a woman. But um, I would love to hear your perspective on, on how you experience, you know, gender inequality in, in your day-to-day -day life. Yeah, so um, it's important to also note that I'm from a Muslim society. So apart from that patriarchal community that's traditional, that's part of culture, there's also a way that, um, you know, um, a Muslim woman is also viewed. And, um, you know, people have different ways of thinking about, we, we have different ways of packaging our thoughts, we have different ways uh, that we perceive things. And uh, I tend to believe that a lot of people uh, misunderstand religion. So uh, they tend to, like, um, I don't know how to put this. Like, uh, for instance, I, as a Muslim woman, I'm not allowed to travel alone. 
I'm supposed to maybe have a husband or um, a brother or my father accompanying me to these places. But in these times of uh, like we are living in, uh, these are things that can no longer happen. But then these people that are actually imposing all these uh, rules on people are based on that uh, time that is past all of us and it no longer applies. The same way the climate is changing and things are becoming more complex, so we need to uh, move forward, making more holistic solutions, solutions that are easily flexible and adaptable to change. So um, I've experienced gender inequality, but I also call myself lucky because I've been to school. Yeah. Um, I've, 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 I'm in a way liberated, not, not like my fellow you know, daughters, sorry, sisters from these communities that are forced to, in a way, worship men. Because yeah. I, I don't see that as respect. I see that as a way that um, people are put down. Women are put down. Women are looked uh, down upon. So you get to experience this in, in your everyday life, especially when you're in Kenya, a country like Kenya. In, uh, tra- when you're maybe uh, moving around, even uh, just how you're dressing, people can yeah. easily judge you. Um, so people from my community as Muslims, if maybe my hair is exposed a bit, they would judge me. And it, yeah. I find it at some, some way of, you know, still derogatory in nature. Yeah, so I don't know if I've put that clear enough, but... No, but I definitely think it makes sense. Yeah. And I could only imagine having to bring my brother everywhere. Yeah. Or, you know, making sure that I always, you know, have a man with me wherever I go. Yeah, and this experience around us working as an NGO, um, we had a fight with the community at some point okay. because um, we, we wanted a committee that was inclusive of women and you know youths and girls so that we have everyone's voices uh, for the, into this committee yeah. that's actually responsible for running the village that we want to establish. Mm. And um, we wanted to include these you know, measures from not only the implementation of the project, but also during its formation. Yes, to, to, to show them the aspect of inclusiveness, gender equity, and all that. Mm. So we have both uh, men and women participating in the running of uh, the day-to-day running of the village. We have men and women participating in the highest decision-making of the village. So we had a fight. Um, uh-huh. uh, uh, of course, men not wanting women to be on the committee. Yeah. So that's some of uh, the way we see the, the issue of gender inequality. You don't find women in a lot of, uh, like, for example, the, the event that I was in, that I was invited. Yeah. There's a committee, a whole, I think, 30-member committee that's responsible for ra- raising funds for children to go to okay. school from the village. But they're all men. There's yeah. no single lady. Wow. And we know that's where now the cor- uh, this money will not even actually reach the school. But if there was a woman there, that's yeah. a mother, that's somebody who is naturally caring. So exactly. that's what they're trying to avoid. So this is, these are some of the ways that we see the gender equality um, in our day-to-day lives. Like yeah. being perceived that uh, you have a lesser say compared to some other man from the same community. So I'm an NGO leader, he's an NGO leader, but he will speak first, I'll speak next, because he's a man and I'm the lady. But I, I, yeah. I've gotten some status because they call me director. Ah. So that, that gives you a bit of status <laughs> and the, you'll find yourself in these rooms even though you're given uh, a lesser priority. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. I think that's very rightful. Director. <laughs> I think you definitely, you know, you, you, live, up, you live up to that for sure. Yeah. And, and I wanted to also ask a bit more, you know, in terms of the effects of climate change, how do you think, you know, men and women in your communities are affected disproportionately, you know? Yeah. So I'd say, okay, so the pastoralist communities are already disproportionately affected as a whole. Yes. Yeah. But then when it comes to the community setting, you find different groups are affected differently. And um, I'll not even only speak of women. We also have children who are really, deep. like, there's something I always try and bring across, that children from these communities are really not given the, the, the much-needed upbringing. Because children also are viewed as a way of, a, a kind of insurance. Let me yeah. expound on that. Yeah. So, they, you have children, and when you have male, male children, these male children are more of uh, people who take care of animals, and um, they are, now they, they are treated as, as uh, those who would take over the inheritance. So they are given more of a, kind of a, a priority as compared to the female. So the, lay, the, the girls are yeah. now treated as a form of insurance. In, terms, yeah. in times of drought, they can be easily exchanged for dowry for livestock. So this is some kind of, um, I think, um, we've really tried to understand this even as, you know, people from these communities. And it's deeply rooted yeah. because it's, it's, it's a way people were brought up from since they were ch uh, children and it sunk too deep. Yeah. So we cannot even start conversing with the older generation. We have to start from the younger children from the youths who are in school, if you want to change all this situation. So for women, um, of course, men migrate when uh, maybe a, a, a drought hits. Yeah. And they just leave. They leave nothing behind. Okay. So you find women yeah. uh, remaining home with their children with no idea of what they will feed them. So they have to stand up and just think of a way. And the only closest idea that comes to mind is selling milk. Okay. So you find women trekking longer distances, crossing a river to go 20 kilometers to sell two liters of milk. Because it's a drought season, yeah. there's no milk also. It's, a low, it's, it's really a li little amount of milk that can be gotten. So this milk hardly generates, if I can say, to no, $5? Yeah. Less than okay. $5. But they just want to come home with a packet of maize flour to at least make sure the children have not slept hungry. Exactly. But only one meal a day. Yeah. And that's the best they can do. Yeah. So this is uh, some of the effects you feel are more gendered because uh, women are left with this responsibility. Some of them are pregnant. There's no right to bodily autonomy. Yeah. You find somebody is pregnant, they've just given birth, the next three months they are pregnant again. So there's a lot of work to be done um, yeah. on this community. Uh, as for girls, they are at increased risk of um, being given out uh, in early marriages, being exposed to female genital mutilation. Yeah. Um, most of the times when it comes to dropping out of school, a girl is considered more. Okay. Yeah, like uh, your daughter is not going to school. The son has to go to school because the son has a brighter future. That's how they, there's that perception around a male and a yeah. female. Yeah, it's yes. crazy. Yes. Yeah, so uh, just to mention that around, um, you know, 
we've seen this problem and we know women are, are, are like in, in a kind of a cocoon, yeah. shut off because they cannot afford, like me, nobody will tell me anything because I have my own money. Yeah. Yes, like when a woman is empowered economically in a way, they'll not handle some kind of, you know, bullshit. Exactly, right? They don't have to depend yes, on it, it on gives them some else. form of strength, a voice. Yeah. So we are trying to, we thought for us to actually um, empower these women, we needed to start something for them, a business model that they know how to do best, yeah. but, with, but with a bit of training to just, you know, um, value add and make better products. So we started a, a livelihood empowerment project. To, so for now, they're making handbags that are beaded. They're making jewelry like the one you're wearing. It's really nice. Yeah, so <laughs> we, we try our best to market and sell these products for them. I find myself traveling a lot. Yeah. And I always carry a suitcase, a suitcase of products that whenever I finish any talk, I ask people like you to, to you know, purchase from our program and even help us establish markets back at your homes. Yes. So that um, we do not only empower them financially, but you also help them make that decisions, stand up for their children, both boys and girls. Because you're talking about gender equity and it's not all, only about women. So um, if you feel like getting a gift for your loved one back at home, we have them here. Yeah. Yes. I recommend it. I got this bracelet. Also about a handbag for my mother that I'm going to get her for Christmas. So you should really check it out. They're super nice. Um, okay, just to finish up, yeah. I wanted to ask you a quick question. Um, if you have any reflections on how, um, you know, the Nordic countries, you know, could support other countries, seeing that, you know, we have the money, infrastructure and policies, you know, to ensure gender equality in, in climate-related issues. So, um, I would first start with the money. Yeah, because you're talking about commitments that are being made here at global level, but it hardly reaches grassroots communities. That's something I can say, especially when it comes to the communities I work with. I hardly see any NGOs coming to work on the ground or even any development um, aid organizations. It hardly reaches the grassroots communities. And I've also noted that a lot of you know, governments tend to believe in other governments, yeah. but they work is actually not done by those governments. The work is actually done by grassroots organizations. That's why there's that shift of, um, in philanthropy where most of this, uh, I've seen a trend where most philanthropists are now looking at actually funding grassroots organizations. Because if we compare the, the, the budget that we have and the amount of work that we do, yeah. and the budget that these big organizations have and the amount of work that they do, it does not match there's more impact created by grassroots organizations because we are actually working with the people, we are actually working for the people, and most of us are from the same community. So it's in our best of interest yeah. to actually make sure that... So I always um, ask for localization, if it's possible, and um, in terms of research and innovation, yes, um, it's, it's more advanced in, of course, the Nordic regions, and um, communities like the pastoralists, Yeah. are in need of innovative ways to actually practice more resilient ways of livelihood without completely changing the structure around pastoralism. Yeah. So we're talking about different kind of breeds that um, these communities can keep to ensure that they don't lose a lot of wealth when it comes to drought. 
you know, whatever type of livestock we keep at the moment is really vulnerable. Yes. Yeah, and it cannot adopt to the, the to kind the of climate changing change. climate. Yeah. yeah, so more of research on uh, alternative ways, capacity building, capacity strengthening. I, I think yeah. that's, that's one of the best ways that this can actually be invested. And I would also urge that it's still more localized. Yeah. Yeah, because we reach the governments, and that's where the, the, the discussion ends. It, it hardly reaches yeah. these communities. And then um, I, would, I would also like to urge the, the Nordic countries to step up in leadership in terms of, you know, um, reparations, yeah. making these commitments and actually actualizing them. Because exactly. it's one thing to make a commitment, but it's another thing to actually pay it. Yes, to yeah, do we've it, seen right? That. Yes, yeah. We've seen that in the climate space. We've been so happy at some point when uh, the, loss and dam the pledges come in from the loss and damage fund. Yeah. But it doesn't really actualize and it takes years for it to actually come to light when communities are battling the brutal impacts of climate change. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Wow. Okay. So I think we as Nordics should take that, you know, encouragement to actually, you know, just not talk the talk, but walk the walk. Um, and I think we can find a lot of inspiration in it, initiatives like yours and the Gender Equal Village. So, Mana, thank you so much for coming here and sharing your experiences with us. It's been really, really interesting to, to hear your stories, and I hope that we can learn from you. Thank you so thank much. You. Be sure to follow Nordic Talks on Instagram at nordic.talks and find more information on upcoming events, new podcast episodes and much more.